All right, uh, let's go ahead and, and open in prayer, and then uh, we'll kind of see where that takes us. Well, Father, we just come to you this morning, and we just we allow ourselves to take a moment to sense and to kind of feel the heaviness, which is over this nation. It's even here in this room this morning. We allow ourselves to feel things are not comfortable this morning. Uh, And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would begin to move in us and we ask that you would give us the strength to follow the Scriptures and ultimately to follow Jesus, that we would be those who truly are the peacemakers, that we would be those who are the ministers of reconciliation, that we would take it upon ourselves personally to bring people together, not to separate. We ask this morning that the Spirit of Christ would just rest in this place in such a powerful way that, that we wouldn't be able to hold on to things. Uh, that would allow us to push others away, to, to justify speech or actions which are not of you. So in this moment, this morning, Father, we just, we fully try to submit ourselves to you. And we ask that your scriptures would search us, search our motives, search our hearts. And we ask that by grace that we would truly be, be equipped to represent Jesus and to represent his kingdom. And everyone said, Amen. Well, how was your week? My goodness, right? Uh, those of you uh, who are wise and intelligent, you guys were not on Facebook this week, right? Those of you who are not wise like I am saw me on Facebook, <laughs> right? Oh, it's a mess out there, isn't it? And it's getting uglier every single moment. Uh, Monday night was the funniest part to me because, you know, it's like uh, so many posts. Oh, I can't wait till election's over. Can't wait till Tuesday night when they count. We can just be done with it. <laughs> we are so dumb, aren't we? I almost believed that that might happen, right? And then, of course, we wake up Wednesday morning just to realize that whatever, you know, semblance of being human was left was gone. And uh, we have found a new low, right? Like I said, I hope we're clapping at the end of this morning. Amen, right? Let's start with this. How about this? Um, so, in the entire context of this series, we're trying to get to this place to where we can figure out the way that we are supposed to be Christians, but also Americans. How do we represent the kingdom, but also live in a nation? And it is a very tricky mess here. And we spent three weeks trying to kind of separate the two to understand what it means to represent Christ, what it means to participate as a citizen. And it is a very difficult subject for us. 
But ultimately, it comes down to what question. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we must answer this one simple but very difficult question because this question kind of holds all the answers for us. What does it mean to truly be a Christian? Is it a prayer? Is it just an idea? Is it actions? What does it look like? Uh, I don't have my Bible up here, but you know, if I did, what does it mean to live by this thing? Right? All these scriptures, all these stories, this character of Jesus, what does it mean to truly be someone who follows in his footsteps? What does it look like? And what happens with us most of the time is that when we really begin to ask that question, we do not like the answer. One of the things that Jesus said, which, I mean, it's always going to hit me hard. He said, would you not count the cost first? Had some examples. A farmer and a king and, and a builder, but his context was this. He was saying, wouldn't it be wise for you to take a moment and to consider what it really means for you to follow me? Because you don't understand yet, but to follow me means that it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you enough that you might want to take a moment and be sure that you're willing to pay this for it. Who's ever bought a house before? Okay, so it's so exciting, it's awesome. Then you get to closing day, and like you just can't wait. But then there's like 190 pages of signing, right? And somewhere in the middle of this, and there's all these zeros, and like your name, and your signing, and oh, I'm liable, and oh, this, oh, oh, and repossession, oh, awesome. And then all of a sudden it hits you somewhere around page 102. This is a little bit scary. Yeah, it, it sounded great on the outside. We get a house of our own, tremendous. But then you begin to realize what it means to sign on the line. I am chaining myself to something. This is going to cost me something. I might not be able to live the way I used to live because I'm going to have to find a way to make this stupidly large payment every single month. And if I don't, they will ruin my life. If, if you tried not to pay that, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. You guys are better than I am. Okay. There's a point there where it really begins to hit us. What does this mean to make this, this commitment? Now, uh, before we go farther, you know, each, uh, each week I've, I've told you this. Uh, it's important for you guys to trust my motives. You do not have to trust my teachings. You know, again, uh, the heart that I have is always kingdom. I, my goal is in all this to find a way to help us follow Jesus closer. And so in this stuff, I encourage you to speak up, talk to me. Um, if you haven't been offended or confused or bothered or angry yet, you probably might today, but that's okay. Because I'll be at Starbucks this week and we can talk about it. <laughs> no, seriously, I will be. Monday, 7.15, okay? So if you walk out of here going, I'm leaving, this is crazy, that guy's an idiot, he's a lunatic, come talk to me first. That's all I ask. Okay, Starbucks, 7.15, agreed? One person will be there. Awesome. Hmm? PM. 
Got three kids, man. PM. AM or PM. Best joke of the day. All right. Start with a story about that. Um, whenever I first began to really get serious about Christ, I, ah, the good part about me is this. I take things very seriously. So when it comes to anything in my life, I either don't care at all about it, or I will drive you crazy being so 100% about it. So what happened was I didn't care a thing about God and Christianity, the church, okay? And then the next day, I was all about it. So I didn't really know how to, you know, grow with God. So what I did was I decided, you know, surely it means six to eight hours a day praying, reading, fasting. Sounds awesome, right? (laughs) The way that I understood spiritual maturity was it was almost like leveling up in kung fu, right? Okay, does anyone else understand what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. You start very basic, but if you just practice and you just apply yourself enough, all of a sudden you will be a grandmaster and you'll be able to walk in the room and like raise the dead. Agreed? So if you can't raise the dead, it's because you're not trying hard enough. And that's the way I understood it. So <laughs> that's kind of sad. So I would pour hours and hours and hours into it. And there's one thing about Christianity which I did not like. The church. And you guys are like, we still don't like that part. I used to... I'd read these verses, okay? Oh, sacrifice. Sure, I can do that. Prayer. Oh, sure. You know, I can do that. The scriptures, I can do that. Holiness, I can do that. Spiritual giftings, I can do that. Love someone. Surely he meant like, like that would just kind of like happen naturally, right? And I found myself practicing this form of Christianity that was just so much about me and Jesus and absolutely no one else. And somehow in my mind, you know, I was going to become a spiritual grandmaster and, you know, I mean, like, just do all these amazing things and change the world without ever having to, you know, speak or touch or hug anyone. And Yeah, and you guys are like, you're still trying that one. I'm still working on hugging, okay? Come on, wake up. And what's sad is that most of us have grown up in different forms of Christianity that have taught us that to be spiritually mature looks like this thing, or like that thing, or like this thing. And to be spiritually mature is to be sinless. I mean, you learn to do these things and to not do that thing. To be spiritually mature is to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. To be spiritually mature is to, you know... No, I have to be very careful what I say. When you begin to walk in the favor of God and blessing and health and wholeness, that shows you're walking in faith. If you're sick and poor, broken, and just a sad, pitiful mess, that means you lack faith. Oh, we're quiet now, right? If your skirt is just that long, but if it gets here, then you're not a very good Christian. And we've learned all these different examples of what it means to be spiritually mature. But sadly, none of that is what it means to be spiritually mature. 
Kids are having a good time, at least. <laughs> if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and get punched in the face. Agreed? 1 John 4, 7. And this verse is so... Uh, John does a really good job with this because he ties it right into to Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5... We see where Jesus is kind of quizzed on, you know, what does following the law actually mean? What is the goal of, of Torah? And, and so what Jesus is, you know, he summarizes the entire thing. He says, love God with everything. Love your neighbor with everything. This is pleasing God. This is what all of the law is. To walk in right standing with God means that you are loving him with everything which means that because you love him, he will love your neighbor with everything. And so John kind of, he ties in, into this understanding. Here's what he says. Pull on your pants, everybody. So dear friends, let us love each other. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I mean, we could just stay right there, frankly. So everyone who's born of God does what? Loves. Everyone who does not love is the inverse, which is what? Not born of God. Now just stop for a second. Look at yourself for the last month. How do we line up with this? Lord, please adopt me because I know I don't come from you, right? Goodness gracious. This is how God showed his lung of, uh, uh, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Pause right there. He's tying the understanding of us being rooted and living through Christ. This idea that as Christians we are uh, hidden in him. And, and, and what he's saying is that the way that God manifests through us is through the way that we choose to participate in his love for others. When I choose to walk in love towards others, it's the way that God chooses to manifest through me. Meaning, when I walk in this room, God might not be there. But the moment that I choose to participate in His love for that person, God is there. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Pause right there. In this world, we are like Jesus. And what he says before that is, 
He's connecting the understanding of the way that we love each other. And he's saying that in the way that you begin to have this foundational distinction about you, when you begin to walk in love, you, you are now enabled to do something which is very powerful. Because the same people who love God, the same people who are born of God because they love other people, these are the people who do what? They testify about God. It's the people who walk in the love of God that are testimonies. They are proofs of God's existence. What qualifies you, what enables you to testify to the existence of God is not your knowledge. It's not your spiritual giftings. It's your ability to choose to allow yourself to put yourself second and to walk in love. And this is what this is the testament, if you would. It's, it's the proof. It's the walking example. It's the walking sample of the reality of God in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Goodness, I love this verse. And again, understand, he's not saying anything new. He's he's simply expounding on on the teachings that Jesus said over and over and over again. He's expanding on the example of the cross. What it means to please God is what? To love God, to love your neighbor. And of course, he teaches actually in Matthew 6, and ultimately to love your enemy. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be born of God means that we are now walking in love. When we do not walk in love, it is proof that we are what? Not born of God. If we claim to love God, hey, I love God so much, I go to church, I pray all the time, I fast all the time, I, you know, I, I serve and I, I fast, but I don't know how to love people. What does that make us? Liars. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. I love this. If the nuance of Jesus is a little bit too much for you, if this idea of the cross and symbolism of carrying your cross, if the message isn't clear there, then John clarifies it. He's given you a commandment. If you love him, you will what? Love your brother and your sister. It's that simple. And so what comes to us is this. It's a very simple understanding. Spiritual maturity starts with loving people. Faith starts with loving people. Following Jesus starts with loving people. It doesn't start with prayer, with fasting, with worship, with the Scriptures. It starts in a very simple way. Proof that you are a baby in Christ, that you are a healthy baby who is growing in Christ, is learning to love people. When you have a child, and they begin to get to a certain age, you there's certain things that they need to be able to accomplish to see that they're healthy. The sign that you have gone from an infant 
to a toddler in Christ. You know, to crawl as a Christian is very simple. To learn to love people with your actions. And that's just the beginning, people. We're just starting. Here's the sad thing about most of us, including myself this morning. We haven't even learned to crawl yet as Christians. It doesn't matter what you can do or how well you know the Scriptures or how much you give or how much you serve or, you know, all this garbage. What matters is this. Learn to crawl first. Learn to love people. So for me... uh, in my story, uh, this was the hardest part for me because I could do all these other things and they weren't the scary part. It wasn't the difficult part for me. What was scary, what was a sacrifice, what was a challenge for me, what challenged my faith, what challenged my dedication um, with Jesus was having to risk being misunderstood, having to risk being wounded, having to be vulnerable, having to invest time in people. That was the hard part. And frankly, that's the hard part for all of us. Learning to truly love people in action, because we've all said this before, right? Oh, yes, you know, Jesus loves you, and I love you, brother. But agape love, and we don't have time to break all that down, it is a social love. It's something that shows itself in the way you socialize, in the way you interact with people. You cannot operate in the love of God alone, in isolation, in your prayer closet. The love of God surfaces in you when you get around people. It surfaces in you when you're surrounding yourself with people who are different than you. It surfaces in you when you're insecure, when you're afraid, when you're fearful. It surfaces in you when you would naturally do the opposite thing. That's where the love of God shows up in you. The love of God is the one thing that, that allows us to stand apart from the world. We don't have to talk... We don't have to be trained how to fight with people. Take two toddlers, one toy. What's going to happen? They're going to fight, right? Now my child's going to be like, oh, I love you, here. (laughs) Yeah, and you guys are like, we've seen your children in the nursery. That's not what they do. Liam will take the toy and hit the other child. My toy. Actually not funny, huh? Failed parent in that way, huh? What makes us different is when we have to choose between us or them, we choose them. That's what makes you different. That's what makes you stand out. You can walk into training and prophesy all you want. It might not help you stand out in the way you want to. Who's ever spoken tongues in a train before? Wigglesworth did it, sounded awesome. I did it, not so awesome. You guys are like, no. But when you you find yourself in the situation 
where it's, it's you or them, and you choose them, they will always notice. Always notice. And they'll always ask themselves a question. Why? Why, when it comes down to me or them, would they choose me? There were a lot of us whose vote was heard this week. Our voice was heard very clearly. But our voice was heard as we silenced the voice of our neighbor. No cheering yet? The cross, it always puts us in this place where it challenges the motives of our heart. It's amazing how much fasting and praying and going on mission trips and, and, you know, service in the kingdom, it's amazing how much of that you can do and still be serving yourself. But the way you love people, it challenges you in the deepest part. Who are you doing this for? Who? We can't escape that question. To truly choose to live in a way to put the other person first, it takes us all the way to the cross. Who who are we going to choose to put on that cross today? Ourselves or them? Who's going to get their way today? Who's going to get their raise today? Who's going to get the house? Who's going to get their president today? Who is it? Oh, it hurts, doesn't it? It takes it all the way back to in here. What are we really doing this for? So we're called to carry our crosses, and it's the most difficult call she can ever give to us. It's the one that we always fight with the most. But again, this is the beginning. This this is what it means to be Christian. We're called Christians because we are the ones who imitate, the ones who follow, the ones who, who step in the same footsteps as the one who leads us. We try to the best of our ability to be understood, to be seen as Jesus on the earth. To be as much like Him as possible. To imitate Him. To learn from Him. To model Him. This is what it means to be a Christian. And it's so hard for us. We've learned so many different ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what's so difficult, the reason that all these other you know, answers of what it means to be a Christian are not correct, is for one reason. They don't challenge us with the cross the way that imitating Jesus does. If to be a Christian means to, to, to fully commit to being like Him, to following Him, to imitating Him, then it means that every single moment in our lives we are asking ourselves this question, who am I putting first? It's a terrible, frustrating question. But it's the, it is the cost which as Christians we were supposed to, to count at the beginning. Am I sure I'm willing to do this? Am I sure I'm willing to give up myself 
to die daily, to carry my cross daily, to do this baptism in water, which is a picture of my life dying on the earth so that whenever Jesus comes back, he can resurrect me because the rest of my life on the earth, I'll be walking and living as a dead person. Am I really sure I want to live the rest of my life as a dead person who has no say, no opinion, who has no side? Am I sure that I really want to live this way? Am I sure that I want to spend the rest of my days on the earth carrying a cross which I'm going to put myself on every single day for other people with one hope, that it's all going to be worth it because Jesus is going to, in some way, have something that's worth more than having to give up all this life. Don't confuse it. The cost of being a Christian is this life. The reward is the life that he, he has waiting for us when he returns. That's what Christianity is. I'm going to choose to go under the water in a full commitment to live my life selflessly for Christ, which means to live for Christ means to live for everyone else around me first. Doing that in the hope that this same person, Jesus, is going to pull me out of this death. He's going to bring me into the life that's fuller than any life I could live on this earth. But the cost is very clear. To follow Jesus to resurrection, to follow Jesus into heaven, I've got to follow him to the grave first. You can't skip the grave. And honestly, it would be easier if we just died now. Because if not, that means to be a Christian means to live the rest of your breaths living for everyone else around you. And then trusting that as you live for everyone else around you, Jesus will take care of every need that you have on this earth. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. Here's the shame of it, though. We as Christians have learned to become some of the most skilled warriors. We are skilled with our words. We are skilled with our relationships. We are skilled with our social media accounts. We are skilled on how to fight. We're going to get light for a second, okay? So we can all breathe for a second. We know how to fight over a Starbucks cup, baby. You better tell me Merry Christmas or we're going to have a problem, you and I. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Target, you better have to do your bathrooms the exact way I believe the Bible says to do your bathrooms, or we're going to have an issue. I won't shop there for a week, but I'll be there the next week. Yeah, trust me. I had a list of all you guys who are boycotting Starbucks and, and, and Target, and I saw all you guys in both places. I promise, I, I, I've got the list. I've got the list. Checking it twice, Matthew. You better worship the way that we believe that Jesus wants you to worship, or else. You better dress the way that we believe you're supposed to dress, or else. Goodness gracious.
This is a shame. Truly. Uh, you know, we become associated with so many things. Uh, none of them look like Jesus. None of them. You know, it's uh, the scriptures in Revelation 12. Uh, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And of course, we see this from the Old Testament to the New. It's, it's his job to come and to create division, it's his job to come and to accuse, to create this animosity, to create sides. He creates enemies. And, you know, what's amazing about this is. is it's the accuser who leads us into accusation. It is the accuser who leads us into accusation. One of the saddest things about all these different things we're talking about, about this entire year with the election, about, you know, Starbucks cups and worship styles and 50 different churches in a town of 4,000 people, it's the fact that we all believe it's the Spirit of God leading us. It was the Holy Spirit who gave me that righteous indignation to bring my whip on Facebook and to clean out that Starbucks cup. Because Jesus is mad. He's going to sweet pay. <laughs> Gotta make it a little light, I know. I've been so heavy this week, guys. It's, it's, it's amazing. But we have to remember this. It is the accuser who leads us into accusation. Simply put, Scriptures tell us that there is judgment is a real thing, but there's one person who is coming back who's going to take the seat as king and as judge, and guess what? It's not you. But the Scriptures call Jesus the advocate. The opposite. He's not the accuser. Even though we know that, that there will be a time when He's the one who will judge and His judgments will be final. We also see in Scriptures that his, his primary role is to focus on being the advocate. He is the one. It's the advocate who leads us into advocating for others. The sermon is it, it, um, it's called uh, Prophets. And you know, in the Old Testament, when you begin to take the image of the Old Testament and you begin to understand the Gospel... We are to be a people of prophets. And what prophets did in the Old Testament was they were the ones who would always speak out against anything which was wrong. If there was injustice, if something was wrong and needed to be made right, they would speak as the mouth of God and say, this is not right, and He's going to change it. And what we do... I see... Uh, the ambassadors of God, as ministers of reconciliation. It's our job to be on this earth and not just our words, but our actions say, this is wrong and He's going to fix it.
But it's done the opposite way. When you accuse, let's say this, to advocate means to say, what's happening to you is wrong. I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to tell you that it will be made right by the one who I speak for. But until it's made right, I'm going to stand with you and speak up for you. To accuse is to stand on the other side. And to say, you are wrong. Which one is harder? Which one puts you in harm's way? Which one causes you and forces you to love and to put someone else's well-being before your own? Which one stretches you? Which one are you scared of? Which one will draw the most of your time and energy and life? Which one is hard to even make room for people in your life? But this is what we are called to do as the ambassadors of Christ, as those who are called to be the advocates, to be the ones to not only say this is wrong, but to stand with those who are suffering the wrong. You guys have your Let's go to Luke 14. My uh, favorite passage in, in the Scriptures, and, and as I say that, you're all like, oh no, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> yes, a little bit hard, but it's, it gets to the point. Here's what it says. So the crowds were gathering. Jesus turns to them and says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. But Jesus, I thought I just said a prayer of faith and it's all done. I hate Jesus. He, just, he, he messes up all of our different stuff. He never makes it easy on us. He always goes right to the heart. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then he goes down and he talks about what it means to count the cost. And Understand this. In 1 John, we see that perfect love casts out fear. There's this tension between love and fear. And, and while fear and love are not opposites, there's something about fear and love that does not play nice. It doesn't take the same space. It won't allow. It's impossible to be in a state of fear and also in a state of love. It's impossible because what happens with fear is it makes us fear for us or ours. It makes it very difficult in a place of fear to focus on anyone else. And in that statement, anyone who does not hate his family, who doesn't even hate his own life, cannot follow me. What's hidden inside of most of the, of the areas in our life where we choose not to carry a cross is that there's a place for us where we are unwilling to put the well-being of someone else over our own. And this extends to our family, to our children. What this means is very simple. Even a pure love for my children in the wrong circumstance 
will allow me to put the well-being of my children over the well-being of someone else's children. Even this good love which is from God, if I'm not careful, if my first love is not Jesus, if, if I'm not trusting the well-being of my children to Jesus, if I'm not careful, if I have anything else above Jesus, it will come to a place where I will be able to justify harming someone else for that sake. Because here's the thing. We've all done things and said things last month which don't look like Jesus, but we all have justification for it. Well, can you believe that they said this and they called us that and they did this and we find this way to justify? Well, I know that Trump is this, but Hillary did that and so I can say this. And we find these ways to justify this behavior. But when Jesus is first, there's no justification for any of that. And primarily it's this. When I am trusting my family and my life and everything I own to Jesus, I have no fear for their well-being. I don't care who the president is or, or the job I have or if the person has a gun to my head. It doesn't change anything. Fear has no place in my life. But if I don't trust all that to Him, then there... That's the foot in the door. That's the way that, I'm, that, that the enemy is going to find a way to slip in here. And even my good love for my own life, for my children, for my wife, for my country, whatever it is, it, it will be perverted to set me against someone else. It will steal my testimony of God. It will take away the ability for me to walk in the love of God and to testify that He is real because I'll be just like everyone else on the earth. I'll protect me. I'll protect mine. I'll put myself first. I'll put my country first. I'll put my agenda first. My plans, my future, my children. And I'll look just like everyone else on this planet. And the way it's supposed to be is like this. We're supposed to be these prophets who, who, when someone comes into our life, in conversation, in contact, at, at work, at the store, uh, when they watch our marriages, and they, you know, when they watch our homes, the way, we, the way we raise our children, they are supposed to, in some way, shape, or form, to taste, to encounter what the kingdom is like. It's supposed to be so different than the rest of the world that it makes them say, what is this about these people? It's so different. How in the world is this person able to love my child the way that he loves his own child? How is this person able to always find a way to put me first? How is this person able to actually care about me this way? And it is this. It's this that allows them to see that there is something on this world that's better than this world. The problem with most of our Christianities is this. If we, if we had access to money, if we had had access to, you know, to resources, to the right job, to the right home, to the right this, the problem with most of us is this. there's nothing about our lives that we couldn't get from the world. The reason the world doesn't want what we have is they can get what we have. 
They can get a house and they can have a, a big job and a boat and a they can have these things. They can have a broken marriage all on their own for free. They can live a life for themselves without anyone having to teach them how to do it. And so there's nothing in us that looks anything different. We have nothing to offer them. And it comes down to the most basic part of following Jesus. Learning to love others more than yourself. The biggest shame is this. This country... The world, the shame is that when they think of Christians, when they think of the cross, they associate it with anything else but Jesus. That's the shame right now. Here's what we're going to do. We have to be the ones to lead the healing. There's so much division right now in this country and the saddest thing that I've heard, uh, this sounds goofy, but there are two basketball coaches uh, this week who had some speeches about just kind of the way they felt. And the, the one thing that, that, that they both said was, and I don't understand how evangelicals believe that this is a picture of God. And it just hit me right to the heart. Non-Christians, the ones that we're supposed to be here for, whether it's fair or not fair, true or not true, what they see is this. To be a Christian looks like what we just elected. Now, I know that most of us did not participate with that in mind. Most of you who I talked to, we had all different reasons for why we voted the way we voted. But the problem is this. The world sees that and ties it to the cross. It's terrible. It's terrible. Shame on us. Now again, let me speak to both sides here. Understand this. I don't have a dog in this fight. I did not vote for Hillary. I did not vote for Trump. My focus is always just on the kingdom. And, but this is the one responsibility that we all have. It doesn't matter how you voted. What matters is how we act right now. I know most of you had tremendously great reasons for how you voted the way you voted. I understand that. And, and you know, with most of you, we sat down. That's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about is all of that is done. How will we be the ones who start the process of healing. How will we be that? So we're going to talk to both sides this morning. And so, if you voted for Hillary, here's what you need to know. The first thing that you need to know is this. Know that not all Trump voters, they're not all bigots, they're not all members of the... KKK, and most of them actually voted for some pretty decent reasons. Some even have some really great reasons. Almost every Christian who I talked to who voted for Trump, 
said, I don't endorse pretty much everything about the man, but I endorse this and this and this. If you vote for Hillary, that's what you need to know about the other side. You need to believe it, too. Because we can talk about all this, you know, all we want in Scriptures. The truth is when you walk out, you've got such strongly ingrained views of the world and of other people that Scriptures just kind of don't even really impact it for you. So here's what we're going to do. You need to remember that. Even if you in your mind say, how could you have voted for that man and what he represents? Understand this. You need to assume the best and trust that they had a great reason to do it. Trust that they were doing it to the best of their understanding of God and the Scriptures. Agreed? If you voted for Hillary, if you're on that side, here's what you need to do. The first thing that you have to do is you have to force yourself to begin to pray for leadership in this country. The Scriptures command you to pray for those in authority. The second thing is this. I want you to practice patience. I know it doesn't, does not sound spiritual. Practice patience. When you see the, the post on Facebook, when you see the, you know, the, the KKK marching here in, in December 2nd, practice patience. And do not assume that your brothers and sisters support any of that. Because the truth is, they probably don't. Here's the last thing you have to do. You have to find a way to wrestle in your heart to honor those who are in leadership. I did not say to, to esteem this amazing value, but honor the position they're in. And that might be a wrestle and a struggle because it's not just a thing we do in our actions. It's a thing that we do in our thinking and in our hearts. Amen? We're quiet this morning. If, you're, if your first allegiance is to Jesus, you'll take this to heart. Because... We have to work out the real practical issues right now if we're going to be able to walk out of here in, in any kind of unity. If you voted for Trump, here's what you need to know. Whether it's fair or unfair, the perception is that you voted and put your approval to someone who represents hate in almost every form. Whether he does or not, that's not the issue here. His thoughts, his heart, his actions, that is not the issue here. The issue is this. There is half the country, by the way, we're split almost exactly 50-50, and we're not talking about the electoral vote or any of that kind of stuff today. That was funny. Come on. No one cares? Popular vote, electoral vote. Okay, cool. Fine with me. We're about even 50-50 with a little more on one side. We'll talk about that. 50-50. And half... Half of your country thinks that you fully approve of someone who represents hate. you got to swallow that. There's no fighting this. If you're worried about self and you, you'll say, no, 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 the liberal media. Who cares why? The point is that they do. And if you voted for Trump, it's your job to put self aside and say, okay, if someone, if someone believes that, then now I have to address it as a Christian. Because my job is not to say no and to draw a line to bring division separation. My job is to be a minister of what? Reconciliation. And I just have to say this, okay? 
If you don't believe that that's the true perception, here's the thing. The KKK did not do a celebration march whenever George W. Bush was elected. They didn't. They believe this man represents them. And again, you might not, and that might not even be the truth, but that is the way half of the country sees it. Can you swallow that? I don't see any hits. Once you swallow that, here's what you have to do. If your first allegiance is with Jesus, here's what you're going to do. You're going to check your heart and make sure that you realign your hope. If you're someone who is so excited to see Trump elected, you will make sure that you have not put your hope in the wrong place. You can still believe he's going to be a terrific president, but you better put your hope in your life and your future, not in that man. That's the wrong human. You better put it in Jesus. I'm not saying you cannot say, again, we're all going to give him a chance. We're all going to pray for him and honor him, but you have to make sure your hope is in the right person. Here's the second thing that you're going to do. You are going to voice your support for all those who are in fear right now. And it might all seem like a big hoax, and it's all this big, you know, elaborate scam, and there's no reason for them to be afraid. Of course we're not the KK, you know, of course we're not against you know, blacks or Muslims or gays. Of course we're not against them. You might feel that way, but you need to make sure that everyone knows it. So if you voted for Trump and you did not support any of that, you just had other reasons that you feel were positive reasons to vote for Trump, then now it's, it's your responsibility as a Christian to speak up and say it. Say, I'm not for, I'm not against any of you. I did not elect this man to be against anyone. I am for every single one of you. I have talked to so many of you who have told me that you were against that, and it's your job to prove it. Speak up. And again, you do not have a responsibility to do this as an American citizen. But if you want to, to represent the kingdom of God, you better understand this is now your responsibility. It is in your lap. I've heard this phrase said a lot. If you don't like this country, get out. Who's heard that? Let me explain something to you. The social security card of the kingdom of heaven is your cross. And if you don't like it, I won't say anything. I'm just saying, if you're not happy with what it means to be, to be required to register, to be in the kingdom of heaven, to carry your cross, then either carry it or walk away from it. Here's the last thing that if you, if you support Trump, here's something you must do as a Christian. You must advocate for all of those who are in pain. I understand, trust me, uh, there's Christian leaders right now who, who I am friends with who are on Facebook saying, you know what, we didn't pout whenever we lost the election. We weren't out there protesting. Trust me, there are some protesters who are out there for wrong reasons, but understand this. There are protesters who are out there because of fear. Not all of them, but there are. And guess what? Even if there's just one person out there who's afraid that they will be deported, there's going to be a wall built or... Fear for their children in school. 
If there's even one person, it is now our job to speak up for them. Period. I don't care if there's paid protesters or not. That doesn't change the game for us. If anyone is in pain or fear, it's our job to speak up for them and say, we are here for you and this is a safe place. So would you guys uh, stand with, you, uh, with me this morning? Here's how we're going to end. Understand this. Um, I just want to congratulate you guys because there are so many of you guys who I've talked to who voted on both sides, but really everyone I spoke to in this church, and it was most of you, almost everyone I spoke to in this church, you guys took this thing to prayer. You guys were concerned about, this, um, about the Scriptures. You guys were not going not into this thing against people. You were truly trying to find out, how do I vote between these two options? And so, if you wrestled over this, if you, if you considered the Scriptures, if you, if you prayed about this, then I just want to say congratulations. We're proud of you. That is the way we handle it. And we can even go through that process and come to different conclusions. But if you went through this process and wrestled over it, if you took it seriously... Good for you. Amen?